Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I got a message for us this weekend that I'm very excited about. It's going to be fun. It's going to be encouraging, but I think it's going to be helpful as we step forward into these new days and we step, you know, Labor Day weekend, we kind of move into September and things get kind of rolling. Here's the title of my message, and I want you to help me out, especially uh, those of you here with me at the Valley right now. You're going to help me. Here's the title of my message. It's don't panic. This is only a test. That was pretty good. I heard a gasp. (laughs) Don't panic. This is only a test. Don't panic. This is only a test. Hey, 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 all right, say a test in the chat if you're watching. When I was a kid, I would watch TV. We didn't have Netflix or Disney Plus. My kids don't know nothing about three channels and rabbit ears, but anyway. And we'd watch whatever was on. That's what you had to do, right? Does anybody remember? You had to watch. You didn't really have a lot of choice. Later on, we had uh, like a TV guide. You can kind of find out what would be on when, but that was about the extent of your control with the broadcasting. But every so often, you'd be watching television, and you'd be in your show, and then all of a sudden, you would lose picture, and an alarming sound would come. Does anybody remember that? And then you would hear that, and then something would come up, some type of notification like this. It would say, this is the Emergency Broadcasting Association, or whatever, I don't know. System. Yeah, it was a system. Emergency broadcasting system. And they'd say, this is only a test. Yeah, it's only a test. Now today, we don't really see that as much because a lot of us don't watch cable. But maybe you've seen it on your smartphone. Does anybody have one of those? Now we do, you know, grand scale emergency testing on our smartphones. I remember last fall, I was just sort of hanging out in my office and this sort of awful sound starts resonating from my iPhone and I looked down and said this is a test so so now we do it on phones but here's what I know to be true whether it's on a phone or on television it's critical that we inform people that this is only a test yeah it's, it's critical because if we don't inform people that it's only a test then panic ensues am I right did anybody hear about the pickering panic of 2020 The Pickering Panic. This happened in 2020 because, of course, all things like this happen in 2020. In in January 2020, in Pickering, Ontario, they have a nuclear power plant, and the residents of Pickering received a push notification on their phone warning them of a potential nuclear disaster. And so everyone, accordingly, freaks out. Apparently, uh, pharmacies were cleaned out of sodium iodide, which I didn't even realize was like the thing you want to take when nuclear reactors are going. So fun fact, you learn that. That's free. You can keep that. But apparently, they just started panicking until later, officials sent a follow-up message and said, sorry, our bad. It was an accident. That was only a test. It's really important that we say this is only a test because if we don't, Panic ensues when alarm, alarming things happen. Am I right? And we found this to be true in 2020. We saw in March and in April when an alarming sound of a pandemic came. And it wasn't only a test. We saw a fair bit of panic ensue, didn't we? In fact, if we're honest, I bet a lot of us probably bought an extra thing of toilet paper or two. We were probably part of the problem of the panic that happened 
early on when the pandemic began. But here's my proposal for us this weekend as we begin to think about, can you believe it? We're, we're rounding third on 2020 and we're heading down the home stretch. Can I get a woohoo? Yes, we're, okay, we're excited. I'm actually believing that God's going to redeem the end of this year, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, just, we'll just say we're thankful that we're three quarters of the way there. And, uh, but here's the thing I want to suggest to you. What if 2020 is only a test? What if 2020 and all the trials that you've gone through and all the things that you've gone through, pandemic, jobs, health, you know, some of us have had family issues, social issues, relationship things. What if all of those were really just a test? And now you're saying, okay, well, aren't these things real? Like, this isn't just a false alarm. No, I'm very much saying what you've gone through and what I've gone through in 2020 is very real. But what if it's a test? Why would I suggest that? Well, here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus and you take this scripture, this word that we stand on to be authoritative, it would tell you something about how we are supposed to understand difficulties. How we're supposed to understand trials and tribulations. There is a word for it. It's called a test. That we go through difficulty and we believe that we aren't exempt from difficulty. In fact, read your Bible, read the book of Acts, find out about the Christians from the beginning. We've been going through trials from the gate since Jesus left. It's not been all roses. There's been challenges. However, the way that we go about these challenges is entirely different. We don't panic. We appropriate this as a test. We realize that there's a purpose and God is actually up to something in the middle of it. God calls trials and tribulations, uh, it's only a test. Look what it says in, the, in, in James. James, he writes this. In, the, in James, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. This is the new version, the politically correct version. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. There is that word, trials. That actually comes from a Greek word called parasmos, which means testing, trial, tribulation, temptation, a bunch of T words. Because you know that the, there's that word, the what? The testing of your faith produces perseverance. So there's a purpose. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. God actually allows you and I to go through these tests, not to punish us, but to prepare us and build perseverance and bring us to a place where we not have less, but we have what? More. That we wouldn't be lacking anything. That God uses these tests to grant things to us. Don't tests do that? Have you, ever, have you ever passed a test? Did you graduate from school? When you graduate from grade nine, you're granted permission to go on to the next level in grade 10. When you pass the bar, some of you are lawyers, you were granted permission to practice law. That's what tests do. They actually unlock things. They aren't designed to hold you back. They're designed to set you free. And that's how God uses tests. And so I want to talk to you for a minute. And I want to suggest to you that I wonder if we shouldn't right now, if we haven't already, and this is, I'll, I'll full disclosure, this is something God's been working on in me, changing how we're thinking about this year and engaging it as though God were allowing it and that he's not doing it to be mean, he's not doing it to punish us, he's actually doing it to pre prepare and produce something in us for our good and the world's salvation. And so I want to ask that question, I want to look at this idea of testing. What if this is only a test? And I want to, just for a few minutes, and I'm going to be quick, so I want you to buckle up. I want to give you a crash course in taking these tests that God allows us to take. 
And I want to give you like a, a cheat sheet, so to speak. None of you ever did that because you're all good students. But if, if you had one, this is what it would be. Here's what I want you to keep in mind when taking the tests in life. And I've got six things and we're going to boogie. So, so lean in, get your notepad ready, get your Evernote or whatever device you've got. Because here we go. Here's the first thing I want you to think about. If you realize that this is only a test, here's the first thing. Here's the first word. I've got six words that start with W that are going to help you take the test that God has you going through. And some of you are going through things, I know for a fact, just, just real talk, I know some of you are going through some things that are actually much, even more difficult and heavy than COVID has been. Some of you are going through cancer. Some of you are going through relationship issues. Whatever it is, here's how we need to think about the trials and the tests that we go through, realizing that God is using those things to form us and shape us. Remember over the last few weeks, we talked about the 246 Reformation as a church. What do we say? that God is active in forming us and shaping us into his image for his glory and our good. And we said that God shapes us through what? Through time. We said God shapes us at the temple through worship. We said God shapes us at the table through community. Join a home church. We said that God shapes us through testimony, through the proclamation of the word. And here's a, a fifth T. It's a bonus T. God shapes us through what? Through the tests. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Through the tests. That's right. Here's the first thing I want you to think about. You need to remember when taking the test, first and foremost, it's about the work. When a test comes at you, the worst thing that you can do is procrastinate. The worst thing that you can do is to just not take it seriously. The worst thing that you can do is to be idle. And so what you're going to want to do in this season, regardless of whatever the test is, if it's COVID, if it's relational, whatever it is, the first thing you need to do is overcome idleness. That is the great enemy of success. That is the great enemy of the tests in your life and in my life. Here's the big idea. Right now is time for you to engage intentionally. Right now is the time for you to press in. This isn't fun. No one likes to hear this, but we need to do the work. You actually need to lean into this season. Now, isn't that the opposite from what we want to do? When you're overwhelmed, what do you want to do? When you're overwhelmed, if you're like me, you want to sleep. You want to go to bed. You want to binge watch Netflix, eat a bag of Cheetos, and then sleep on the couch and then wake up and watch another season. That's what you want to do. That is the worst thing that you can do in the times like this. In these times of trials... This is no time to play around. It's the time to actually rise up and engage the work that God has set before you. We need to engage the test appropriately. If you disengage, it actually leads to disappointment. And if, you, if I, idleness actually leads to destruction. Here's what I know to be true from school. Tests are failed before you take them. Yeah. Right? Tests are failed or passed before you take them. When the, when the teacher puts the test in front of you, that just reveals the preparation that you did or didn't do. And you are either ready for it or not. You've already done the work. And the same is true in the tests of our lives. This is a time of preparation. This is a time that produces something in us. We actually need to engage it. Realize that you're up right now. That you need to engage this season intentionally. The Bible actually tells us all about this. It says in the Old Testament that David, the great, uh, the great king, some of you know his story. He, he had a massive failure in his life. He ended up committing adultery. He ended up trying to cover it up by getting his friend murdered. It was wild, like an unbelievable downward spiral. Do you know what the root of it was? Idleness. This was the one time in David's whole life 
where he sat out a war. He actually sent his guys to battle. He said, you know what? I'm tired. That's a big battle. You guys handle it. I'm going to stay back. Idleness led him to destruction. He did not engage the work that God had put before him. He, he sat back and that was destructive for him. And we find it actually in the Gospels. Maybe you never thought about this before. Have you ever noticed in the Garden of Gethsemane, those of you who know the story of Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he didn't just pray alone. He actually asked his closest disciples to pray with him. But he didn't ask them to pray with him for their benefit. He asked them to pray with him for their benefit. And you find, actually, that Jesus goes off and prays, and he comes back, and he finds them sleeping. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? You start to want to sleep. And look what he says. It says in, in Matthew 26, it says, Going a little farther, Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed. What's Jesus doing before his, his, his greatest test? He's engaging. He's not, he's not sleeping that off. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them what? He found them what? Yeah, he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The same Greek word for test. So you won't fail the test, watch and pray. So you won't fail the test, engage. And did you know that Jesus came and found Peter sleeping not once, not twice, but thrice? Three times. That's a fun word, thrice. He found him sleeping three times. Do you know what happened to Peter? Hours later, he was tested not once, not twice, but three times. And he failed every time. They said, aren't you one of the, aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And he denied, he denied Jesus three times. Why? He failed the test before it happened. This is not a time to, to fall back. And I just want to say this to, to some of you like who maybe have been loose with your, your, your kind of connectivity to church or furthermore, your connectivity to the word and to prayer. This is a time to press in, not fall back. The worst thing that you can do is just sort of lean back and say, well, I'll get back to church and I'll get back to following Jesus a little more intentionally after all this stuff changes. This is, that's the worst thing you can do. You have to face it. You have to face this test head on and deal with it. You need to engage it. You need to lean in. You need to actually get yourself back in the word. Hey, good news. This is an open book test. But you need to get back into the word. You need to get yourself into community. If you haven't joined a home church, I'm not even being nice about it. You need to join a home church, join a community, come back to, to one of our services. You need to be intentional about this. You got to do the work. That's the first big idea. The second big idea is this. This is only a test. Here's another key word I want you to think about for your cheat sheet. It's about the war. It's not just about work. There's more going on than just what you're doing with your time and what you're doing with your energy and what you're doing with your relationships. There's something beneath the surface at work that we as believers can never lose sight of. We are not battling against a virus. We are battling against fear and division and scarcity, right? We are not battling against economic setbacks. We're battling against powers and principalities that want to stir up division and destruction. They're just using that stuff as surface level weaponry to get at the thing they're really after. This is really about spiritual warfare. Your life is about spiritual warfare. There is a real war going on. And if you think it's about your bank account, you are fooled. 
If you think it's about your RSP that's dwindling, you have been fooled. You need to see with spiritual eyes and realize there is a war behind the work and we've got to see it and engage it. Look what Paul said in Ephesians 6. He said it like this, for our struggle, our test, our war, our trial is not against flesh and blood, virus and dollar, but against the rulers, not politicians, stay with the sentence, rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are heavenly forces trying to destroy your peace, trying to destroy your life, trying to, t- to rob your joy, trying to destroy your family, trying to sow seeds of destruction and division everywhere they can. And this is a time for the church to rise up and to fight the right way. And we need to realize something. And God's been speaking that to me. You know, the first few months of this pandemic, I'll confess to you, I was trying to bring physical, you know, material solutions to spiritual problems. Well, maybe we need to do this with the church, and we need to do this, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this program. And I, and I was actually exhausting myself trying to find solutions for things that were really rooted in spiritual issues. And I was reminded, God spoke to me early on, just said, hey, don't, don't get caught, you know, like, like David almost did when he almost fought Goliath using, using Saul's armor. You remember that? Can't fight with the wrong weapons. And David was smart enough to realize, you know what? I don't need this big sword and these weapons. I need to fight this thing in the air. And he took a slingshot. That, it's, it's interesting that it's, he, he used an air weapon. You know, we have this fight is against, a, another translation says, against the rulers of the air. We're doing air warfare. You are part of the air force. Like we are supposed to engage in spiritual warfare. This is not a time to not be praying consistently. God's been speaking to me about that personally. Like he's called me into actual intercession. Not just like I need to spend time. You know, we did, a, we did a series this time last year on prayer and we talked about how prayer is keeping company with God. Yes, it is. And sometimes your best prayer time is just sitting there and listening. I fully believe that, do you? However, in this season, God has told me something. He said, this is gonna be a time where you need to actually lean in and start doing prayer work. You need to actually start verbalizing prayer and spending minutes interceding for what you want to see happen in the natural. You need to do it in spiritual. And I believe that for the church. I believe this is the time for the church. Listen, we are not going to see revival and we're not going to see breakthrough because we came up with some new program. We're going to see it because we learned to cry out to God in prayer, in intercessory prayer. And I guarantee you, there's not going to be one thing that we see happen in our church or in our lives that did not get asked for and contended for in the secret spiritual places first. And so here's what we're going to do. I, I had this thought, you know, those of you who are parents, you'll identify with this. Um, when, when, when my kids cried, especially when they were really little, I knew the difference in their cries. I knew when they were crying for attention. I knew when they were whining for a little bit of food. I knew when they were just whining and being annoying and I would ignore it. But there's a type of cry that's like a drop everything cry. There's a, there's a type of screech out of my kids that would make me drop my phone, drop what I was doing, turn the lawnmower off, whatever, and run to them. And I actually think this is the time for the church to learn to cry out like that. And so here's what I'm, I'm going to call you to right now. 
I want you to join me. I wasn't planning on doing this until about a week ago, until God kind of stirred this up in my heart. That look, if we really want to see breakthrough, and we really want to see transformation, we really want to see revival, we really want to put this season behind us and step into a greater season, it's going to happen because our church learned to pray like never before. And so here's what we're going to do. For the next 21 days, I'm calling our church to pray and to fast. And I want us to pray and fast, specifically doing war against the, the tactics of the enemy. I want us to pray and fast that we would see spiritual breakthrough in our church, in our homes, in our home churches, in our immediate families and extended families, in the school system. We need to actually contend for this. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call us to prayer and fasting. We're going to make some guides available online. You can go find it on Facebook, on our social platforms, on, on uh, the website. And every day at noon, we're going to be broadcasting live some prayer and intercession that you can join us on Facebook and on our social streams. But whether you join us or not in that, would you consider going to bat in prayer in this season? Like actually interceding. You know, whatever language you need to do to help get you in that mode. We are at war, church. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against powers and principalities of darkness. And I know there are some principalities that need to step aside in Atlantic Canada. There's scarcity that needs to step aside. There's an orphan spirit that needs to step aside. There's a rising spirit of division that needs to step aside. And the church is going to be the ones that rise up and see that happen. So we need to pray. So that's the second word. Here's the third word. The third word is, say it, worship. This test is going to be beat, it's going to be passed, it's going to be overcome if we realize that it's ultimately about worship. It's important when you take a test that you know the subject. Am I right? It's very important that you know the subject. What kind of test are you taking? Don't bring a calculator to a classic literature test. Right? Don't bring a protractor to phys ed. You need to rightly appropriate what this test is. And here's what I know to be true. And here's one of the things God's been saying to me in this season. When God tests us, it's ultimately a test in the area of worship. It's ultimately a test in the area of worship. And there are two questions you need to answer. Question number one, let's go to the next slide. Question number one is this. Will I still trust God even in this season? No matter the circumstance, it's all the same question. If you have cancer, same question. If you're going through job loss, same question. Divorce, same question. Setbacks of any kind, whatever trial you're in, here's the question. It's about worship. Will I still trust God more than my own understanding? Will I still trust Him? Will I still lean on Him even though I'm in this struggle? Will I answer like the psalmist answers in Psalm 20? I love this. It's been on my mind lately. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Will you trust God in this season even though things aren't going the way you would have written it up? Even though you're not quite sure what he's up to, will you trust him? That's the question. It's a question of worship. And will I still worship him? Not just in trust and surrender, but I mean in actual praise. Will you actually still put praise on your lips even though you're going through this season? Like it says, the psalmist says in Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord when we find a cure. Oh, wait, no. I will bless the Lord when I get my job back. No, it doesn't say that. I will bless the Lord after the election. No, it doesn't say that. It says, I will bless the Lord. Say it, studio. At yes, at all times. Come on in the chat. At all times. That means even now. His praise will continually be on my lips. 
This test is a test of worship. And you know what trials do? They reveal idols. These tests reveal idols. I, I, I've had them. I've seen them over this past season. Idols I didn't know was there. You know, I didn't think I had a control issue. And then I lost control. Oh, there it is. And in those moments where God tests you and reveals you've got some dependencies or codependency or you've got some issues here or there, what we do is not, you know, beat ourselves up. You thank God for the revelation. And in that moment, there's where the test is. Will you trust him? Will you surrender to him? Will you lean into him? That's the test. That's what we're doing. Will I still worship? It's about worship and connected directly to that. Here's the next word. It's about the world. It's about the world. That's the fourth W. I love using the same word, and it's working. Same, same letter. It's about the world. What you want to do, one of the ways you can find out the question of worship is by evaluating your intentions. It's actually by evaluating the things that you've been doing. This test is actually a kind of a litmus test that shows you the reality inside of you. And the way that we respond in these seasons actually reveals what's going on on the inside. Here's what I know to be true, and here's why I, I want to say the world. Because if God has our devotion, the world will have our attention. If God has our devotion, others will have our attention. You can't actually be answering the worship problem, passing the test of worship, and being self-centered and self-focused. If you're passing the test of worship, you will be loving people. You'll be more concerned about others than your own security and safety. You'll be more worried about how others are doing than you will yourself. That's how you know you're passing the test. This is why Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, here's how it works. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the second is exactly like it. They run parallel. You will love your neighbor as yourself. So it's about God. And it's about, if you answer the, the worship question, it's about loving the world. So why, why am I pressing on this and why is this important? Because I don't want you to miss an opportunity to look back at how you've responded over the last six months. Let me just step on all your toes right now because God's been stepping on mine and I don't want to be the only one that has sore feet. So <laughs> let me step on your toes. How did you respond in the pandemic? Like, were you, were you a toilet paper hoarder? hoarder? Like, like, really, though, what business does a blood-bought, you know, eternally surrounded, you know, believer of Jesus, God who rose from the dead and promised us eternal life, the one whose love is greater than anything that would try to separate us, what business do we have hoarding toilet paper? All right? What business do we have worried about? What, do you get up every morning and just like obsess over the stock market because you're worried about your, your, your retirement? That's fair if you aren't someone who follows Jesus. But if you follow Jesus, your response to this should be, well, really, my ultimate retirement's with him. I'm good. Yeah, that's, that's not ideal. But really, these light momentary afflictions are preparing for me an eternal glory that far outweighs it, right? Like, like, God really hit me between the eyes early on. Uh, not early on. This is about a month ago. Sadly. <laughs> about a month ago, I had this thought. I was out for a walk with my less, he's not quite a puppy at this point. He's getting bigger. 
And I was asking the Lord, I was saying, you know, God was praying and just asking him, uh, you know, just to do a work in my heart. And I was kind of really beginning to embrace the test that this season is, because that's the first step. But then God just sort of posed the question to me and he said, look, Brad, if somebody, if somebody were to follow you around for a week and they got to read your texts, hear your phone conversations, they got to actually read your thoughts, think of, and they got to know what you were thinking about what was on your mind. And they did an audit about what you care about. What would they say you care about the most? What would they say that you are most concerned about right now? And I thought about that as like the Holy Spirit asked that question to me. And I had to be honest that, you know what I was probably most concerned about at that point? That the church would be okay. That we'd somehow recover through this and that people would, we wouldn't lose sight of people. You know, it's very concerning for me as a pastor to have not laid eyes on several thousand people that call me pastor. Although some of you I've never met, so that, that's not quite as bad. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult for me. And so I said to the Lord, I've been really concerned about the church as we're in uncharted territory. I don't know how to lead a church on the other side of a coronavirus. I don't know how to do all this stuff. And, and so, I, so I had to answer the Holy Spirit and say, I think, I think that, they, that they would have to say that he's very concerned about saving the church. And the Spirit spoke something to me very clearly, just arrested me in my tracks, said, when have I ever been concerned about saving the church? The church is already saved. I want to spend the church to save the world. Why are you concerned about yourself when I'm concerned about the world and you are the mechanism that I'm trying to reach it with? Get your eyes on me, off yourself, and you're going to start loving other people like I love them. And this is a time where we need to really look. Like, ask yourself the question, how have I responded? And I was reading... I was reading a, a, a book on the rise of Christianity uh, by, a guy, by a guy named Rodney Stark. And he talked about how early Christians responded in the pandemics that happened in Rome. Believe it or not, this isn't the only or first pandemic that's happened to Christians. So there you go. We've done this before. And he said that they were marked by a few things. Here's what the Christians were marked by in the early church. They cared, number one, they cared for the sick, both Christian and pagan, even risking their own lives, they were the ones that ran into the pandemic when everyone was running away. Christians. I'm just telling you what history told us. Tell, he said that they offered answers and consolation in the form of real truth and a meaningful life. So they were hope dealers. They were proclaiming the gospel, offering hope and joy to people who were frankly desperate for it. He said, number three, that they had notable contempt for death. I thought that was awesome. I think we have fear of death. The early Christians had contempt for death because they just saw Jesus rise from the dead. They're like, ah, oh, death's no big deal. Our guys got it. They had contempt for death. Number four, they maintained unimaginable joy. In the pandemic, that's what they were marked by. Number five, they demonstrated their love for God by loving others. There it is. They, they, they were waiting in line at Sobeys, buying up all the toilet paper and Clorox, but instead of going home, they took it to people who couldn't get out. That's what the Christians did. That's how they responded. Number six, they maintained a bond with one another, even in a pandemic. How are you responding? What does the last six months reveal 
about you and where your hope is. And I actually felt the Lord not really wanting to slap your wrist, but to reveal to you, hey, you serve the God who rose the dead. You serve the God who says, we just sung the song in our service about how every curse was poured out upon him. Every disease, every affliction was poured out upon, poured out upon him. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from trials. It just means that we're going to overcome them. Even if we die, we overcome. So what business do we have? I just feel to preach this. What business do we have being the ones that perpetuate fear? We have none. And I believe the Lord wants us to turn the page and rise up, fight the war, do the work, and stand up and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. I do trust him more than I trust anything that's coming at me. I trust the Lord. And I believe God wants to speak that to us this weekend. If we don't love the world more than ourselves, what does that say about us? It says that our faith is weak. It says that our followership is weak. And God is calling us deeper. Here's the next thing. I'm almost done. Are you with me? Number five is this. Number five. This test is overcome. Here's how we pass it. It's about the we. It's a bit of a stretch there with the grammar, but you get what I'm saying. It's about the we. You're gonna, if you're going to pass this test, you're going to have to eradicate individualism. You're actually going to have to eradicate isolation. This is not only an open book test. It's taken as a group. You actually can't take this test by yourself. And if, you, if, if your friend fails, you fail. If your sister fails, you fail. It's a group mark. Now, the teacher's pets in my classes hated that. You know what? I, I didn't mind it, depending on the class. But this is a group test. This is a test that's taken in community. It's one that we do together. Look at how the writer of Hebrews puts it. I love this passage. We've been clinging to this. Hebrews 12, since the beginning of the pandemic. Look what it says later on. We were just doing the first part of Hebrews 12. Look what it says later on. Verse 11, no discipline, no test, no trial. Seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. God's not saying this time is not painful for us. But later on, however, it what? It produces. It produces a harvest of righteousness, of life, and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Do the work, engage, rise up. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And then look what he says. Or she. We actually don't know the writer of Hebrews, so it might be a girl. Make every effort to live in peace with who? Everyone. Yeah, everyone. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know that this season, the trial is very much about your holiness. Now watch this, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We're to see to it that no one, in, in the original language, I remember I preached a sermon on this the first year I was a pastor in 2012. I preached a sermon on this and talked about how the language actually speaks to someone falling back in like an assembly. And that we're actually supposed to be aware of the one who's falling behind us and we go back and get them. We do this together. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We do this. We overcome together. That, that my strength, you're, you're, you're supposed to lean on it in your weakness. And in my weakness, I'm supposed to lean on your strength. That's how God's designed us to overcome. It's as a body. We are one body. We are one family. We are one house of living stones, one temple built together to see the presence of God and the glory of God on the earth. That is why we are here. We overcome together. So one more plug for home church. You need to join a home church. Have you heard us yet? 
I hope you've heard us. Actually, fun fact, I'm celebrating. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. We're almost like to the, to like almost, we're closing in. We're over 800 people who have signed up to be part of a home church. So I'm very excited about that. However, that represents about a third, a little more than a third, about 40% of like our average weekend attendance back when we were having full weekend services. So that's not quite enough. It's not all of you. And that represents not even a fifth of the people that would say, hey, I go to King's Church, even though you really don't. We know it. You're not watching right now. You're going to come at Christmas, so I'm not even offending you. But anyway, um, so, so there's that. I feel like that's going to be on the internet. But anyway, um, we love you. Come back. You're welcome here. Anytime. But join a home church. Join a home church if you haven't already. No, look, none of us have time. It's not convenient. It's, it's painful. It's difficult. And some of you are like extroverts and you're loving it. But most of us are like, eh. guess what? You can't pass this test alone. You need other people in your life, in your corner, behind you, before you, holding you up. Even just being, like having someone praying with you and for you is the difference between success and overcoming these tests and failure. And what an opportunity. I was thinking this. One more thought and I'm going to wrap up and I'll, I'm going to go to number six. Keys can come back. I'm going to pray in a minute. But here's, here's a thought. What an opportunity for the church. Like think about, think about the, the, the real challenge, like some of the primary challenges of the corona crisis. Like what are the great challenges? Isolation. Isolation. Loneliness. Individualism. What an opportunity for the people of God to come around people. Like what, we actually have the victory. We've got the remedy to loneliness. We've got the remedy to isolation. We've got that. We've got that for you. What's another one? Fear. Fear is a great, like that is, that is like the overarching thing that's happening through this pandemic. Fear is everywhere and it's causing division and dissension and, and criticism. I mean, read Facebook. Go to Costco without a mask and watch what happens. Like fear is wild and rampant and accusation. What a time to be the people who know that the perfect love of God casts out all fear. Like, like, I actually have enough courage for me and for you. Like, if I really take this to heart. What an opportunity for a church. What a moment for the people of God. And I, I'll tell you what, hope's been rising in my spirit over the last few weeks. Like, I actually think God is coming to an end of this test and this trial. He's preparing us for such a time as this. You know this is all a setup, Right? Which brings me to my last point. Here's the last thing we need to keep in mind. Join a home church. Here's the last thing. After you've done it all, here's what you need to do. You need to wait. You need to wait. You need to activate expectation and wait in, in great hope and in increasing hope. It says in Ephesians, uh, let's read the scripture. It says in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. Armor up, man. Engage, rise up, step forward. This isn't going away. God is calling you to respond. Armor up in faith, do the work, fight the fight of faith. Get your worship right, put on the full armor of God. Put on the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. You know, grab the shoes that are gospel shoes that keep you grounded in peace. Take the sword of the spirit, armor up. So when the day of evil comes, which here it is, you may be able to what? To stand your ground. You're going to pass the test. 
I just want to speak that prophetically. Some of you feel like you're down and out. I did. We're going to pass this test. God's going to bring us through. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it on to completion. He didn't bring you this far to stop now. He's bringing you through this. So stand your ground. And after you've done everything, what's the word say? It says stand. I like what I think the old King James says. And having done all, stand. Wait. Wait in faith. Do your part. Do the work. And trust God with the rest. And I was thinking about this, like, this season has felt like that God is calling me to engage and to work, to do like 100% of the work that I'm responsible for, and to, at the same time, fully learn to rest and put the weight on God. Put the weight on God as you wait on God. We need to wait on God. And here's the exciting thing. I, what, what God began to speak to me about six or seven weeks ago was, Brent, you wait. You wait. This is what you do in this season. Yeah, you work, but you wait. Like there are things that are out of your control and you don't need to worry about those. Wait on me. Isaiah 43 says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Galatians 6 tells us that not to grow weary in doing what is good for at just the right time we reap a harvest of righteousness if we do not give up. So God was speaking to me. He says, just, your job is to wait. You wait, you wait. But over the, like the last couple of weeks, I don't know if it's because the air is getting cooler or what, but man, hopes and rising. I feel like we're stepping into a new season and you wait has turned into you wait. Oh, you wait. You wait to see what I do with this. You wait to see how I slingshot you. Yeah, I've drawn you back, son. I, I've brought you low, but you wait to see how I send you forth. And you wait to see how I lift you up. I've had him speaking in my spirit, like you wait what I, and see what I do with this in your life, in your family, in the church, in the Maritimes. You wait to see what happens. Yeah, it's been tough in Halifax to not be able to gather together. And you know what? It's tough to think that when we come together in Halifax, we're wearing masks and we're 70 feet apart or whatever it is. That's tough. But you wait and see what God does on the other side of this. You wait. You wait. God's got you covered. He's got you surrounded. So you wait. And he's going before us in triumphal procession. You wait and see what God has done. There will come a day after this test is long past, after we stand in victory, you'll come back and this season will be hindsight. And for those of us that pass the test of faith, we will look back and say, I'm glad it happened. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. I read this morning, I've been studying Romans um, just on my own, not for sermons or anything, although it did come out here, so but anyway. But I read in Romans, it says that trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. So these trials have brought you into a season that's produced perseverance. How many of you have felt that you've had to make a decision to hold on? I will trust the Lord. I will worship. I will gather my family and try to make this work somehow. Perseverance. Perseverance produces character. It's bringing maturity out in you. And here's the thing I'm finding. As I'm maturing, you know what happens where God begins to mature us? First and foremost, right here. 
than right here. And God's been changing my mind on how I'm seeing this. And you know what's happened is that that's hope has begun to rise. And my prayer for you today is that you realize that this season is only a test, that God has a purpose for it, that it's producing perseverance, and the perseverance is causing you to, to be made into the image of Jesus, bringing character out. And as you become more like him, you trust him more, and you believe in his power more, and his goodness more, and hope begins to rise. Maybe the reason that Paul was able in the end of Romans 8 to say, what can separate me from, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus is because the dude's been shipwrecked 40 times. Maybe he only had that revelation because he had to go through so many trials, had so much perseverance, and made such incredible character that that dude had a hope that we could only imagine. My prayer is that hope is rising in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for this truth. God, we thank you for the tests. We thank you that it's only a test and that by your grace, you've given us everything we need to pass. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us work hard, engage intentionally. You'd help us go to war. You'd help us to intercede and not be duped into fighting spiritual battles with natural means. Father, I pray that we would get our worship right. We wouldn't let fear of anything other than you take its place, take your place. God, I pray that we would begin to be intentional about loving others, setting ourselves aside like Jesus, who, who actually like gave himself up for us all. Would we do that too? Father, would we absolutely go to war, go to bat for this world, and as we do, would we realize we need to do it together as we wait on you to do what only you can do? We thank you for victory. We thank you for success that is ours in Jesus' name. We receive this word with gratitude and all God's people said.